Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. I saw a powerful message from Parashat Va'era, published by Peninim on the Torah by the Hebrew Academy of Cleveland, that I would like to share with the audience today. Paro did not listen to Moshe Rabbeinu's warning. Hashem instructed Moshe to have Aharon strike the Nile and stretch out his hand to bring the plague of dam, blood, all over the land. The reaction of Paro and his magicians defies comprehension because they also demonstrated the magical ability to transform the water into blood. But is this sane? Imagine a fire breaks out in a city inhabited primarily by imbeciles. So what do the imbeciles do in reaction to the fire that has broken out in one end of the city? They start another fire in the other end of the city. Is this not what happened in Mitzrayim? Moshe turned the water into blood. Rather than attempt to counter Moshe's plague and somehow turn the blood back into water, the imbeciles create more blood. It's totally ludicrous. So let us first address the question that is on everyone's lips. Why blood? Ten plagues struck Paro and the Egyptians. Why did Hashem send blood to be the first plague? Hashem does nothing without a reason that imparts a message. What is the message of the blood? Rabbi Nachman in the Kutei Moharan explains that the primary concept of teshuvah, repentance, is achieved when a person hears his humiliation, accepts it silently, and yet, ve'idom ve'ishtok, he remains mute and silent. Paro and his magicians could have altered the course of history by acquiescing to Moshe and Aharon's message of the blood. Instead, however, like a bunch of fools, they made more blood. It was not the blood which Moshe was underscoring, but the dam related to yidom, mute, that he attempted to convey to them. Keep your mouth shut. Accept the humiliation with dignity and remain silent. This is your chance to make it good. Instead, they made more blood. Are we any different? We reach out to those who are distant from Torah and Mitzvot. They see clearly that the path that they have chosen to live is doomed, yet they make more blood and continue living the way they have with absolutely nothing to show for it. All one has to do is ask, what do you do that is remotely Jewish? They have no answers, because the answer is nothing. Rav Lazer Brody calls attention to the word Hartum from Hartumim, which is also translated as nose. A fool is someone who cannot see beyond his nose. His vision is short-sighted. The Hartumim Mitzrayim, the Egyptian magicians, looked at the truth but refused to see it. They ignored its message because it meant confessing to having washed their lives, believing in a worthless God. They were unable to transform the blood back into the water. It could only make more blood. The Baal Teshuvah, the penitent, transforms the passion of anger, the passion of blood, into water through humiliation and then remaining silent. Ikar Had Paro kept his mouth shut, had he accepted the heavenly justice with love, 
he would have emerged a king who became a penitent, who transformed blood to water. As a result of his mullishness, he was awarded nine more plagues, and he lived to see his nation devastated. Harav Chizkiyah Medini, Zecher Tzadik Libracha, was a Torah scholar without peer. He is remembered for his extraordinary anthology on Halakha, an 18-volume encyclopedia entitled Sede Hamed. Even in contemporary times, with computer search engines that have access to thousands of sefarim, the Sedeh Hamed stands out as a work of sheer brilliance, representing a Torah scholar who had access to the entire corpus of Torah literature. The author attributed this unusual attention to an incident that happened to him when he was younger, and for which he felt the sefarim of Sedeh Hamed was his heavenly reward. You see, Rav Chizkiah was a member of a kolel comprised of prodigious young scholars, of which he was among the elite. His exceptional hatmada, diligence in study, coupled with his uncanny scholarship, caused him to stand out among his peers. When the Chachamim in Perkei Avot, fourth chapter, teach that kinah ta'ava and kavod, jealousy, desire, and pursuit of honor drive a person from this world, they are not referring only to people of base character, but even scholars who are devoted to Torah study are able to fall prey to these character flaws. Thus we understand that another member of this kolel could have been consumed with envy all over him, given to the young Rav Chizkiah. Envy is a shameful character trait, and when one is envious, he should swallow his pride and move on. Sadly, this tormented fellow could not live unless he succeeded in destroying Rav Chizkiah's life. He bribed a young woman who cleaned the kolel premises to spread false rumors concerning an illicit relationship she had with Rav Chizkiah. The community was in an uproar. This was in a time when morality had meaning. The Sedei Chemed did not respond at all to the charges, remaining mute as if nothing had occurred. He swallowed the shame and moved about with business as usual. Meanwhile, the Rosh Hashiva felt that things were not as they appeared to be, and instead of expelling Chaim Chizkiah, he fired the cleaning woman. This Talmid, let's call him Shimon, his scheme has succeeded in that Chaim Chizkiah's reputation was tarnished. Meanwhile, the cleaning woman was out of a job, and the small amount of money that Shimon had given her was long used up. She regretted what she'd done and decided to come clean in hopes of getting back her job, which she had enjoyed for many years. She secretly met with Chaim Chizkiah and tearfully confessed to the whole conspiracy that Shimon had set her up to. She promised to publicly reveal the source of the ugly plot to clear his name if he intercede on her behalf to reinstate her in her job. At first, he was relieved at the chance to vindicate himself and prove his innocence. But then, he thought to himself what a huge Chilul Hashem it was when the incident first happened and how much derogatory talk was created as a result. With time, the scandal had finally died down. He knew that the truth would come to light now, and if it would, it would dredge up the whole story again, and he knew how much Chilul Hashem and Lashon Hara would result. So, though it was very hard for him to decide to swallow this, he did, instead of causing the disgrace of a Torah scholar. After some soul-searching and deliberations, he told her that he will help her get her job back on condition that she never reveal the plot. 
And that is what he did. It is recorded that this rival Shimon suddenly passed away two weeks later. Like I said, the protagonist in this story eventually went on to become a great Torah scholar, Rabbi Chaim Chizkiya Medini, author of the monumental work Sedei Chemed. He relates that it was at that moment, when he made his difficult decision not to agree to the woman's plan, that an amazing thing happened. He felt his mind open up to understanding the wellsprings of Torah in a depth and clarity that was unavailable to him until that point, eventually reaching the heights of one of the greatest Torah scholars of that generation. A couple of months ago, we were startled by revelations of sexual abuse by Chaim Walder, author of the story series People Speak and Kids Speak. Many were quick to accuse and lay guilt, throwing his books off their shelves, some even burning them. Others felt that the court process and investigation needed to do its thing, which I felt was the right way to go at the time. However, as more and more revelations came about, as the evidence grew thicker, he had no way out. And going through the process, unfortunately, this sick, coward of a man decided that he didn't want to face the court of justice and ended his life next to his son's grave after permanently damaging the lives of at least 22 women and girls, after committing adultery, ruining marriages, and taking advantage of those most vulnerable, he refused to face public scrutiny and the destruction he left in its wake. In the words of Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu, chief rabbi of Tzfat, head of the investigation, I quote, We heard with pain about the suicide of Chaim Walder. It is a pity that he chose this path. We suggested to him that he repair what he damaged, that he apologize to the victims, that he change his ways, that no more women be harmed. He could have taught many through repentance. It is a pity that he chose the path of suicide. We are strengthening the many victims at this difficult time. Their lives take precedence over his life. Raveliau penned a halachic response on why the Beddin labeled him as guilty even though he committed suicide, but that's not for now. You can find that on Rabbi Google. Another thing you can find on Google is his suicide note, which was even more loathsome. I am grateful to all those who believed in me, he wrote. May you be blessed. To all those who didn't, I say that even if you have given up on me, do not give up on my books. Every line, every word, and letter on them was written from a genuine desire to do good, to be helpful, to improve, to strengthen, to help, to contribute, to build, and to repair the world. I never wrote without first having a desire to bring good to the world and its inhabitants. End quote. This is absolutely shocking and unbelievable. Can you not see all the evidence against you? Don't you see all the people whose lives you have ruined? And you're here, the last thing you want to say, to defend your books? Do you really think people care about your stories? Is this what it's all about? Instead of turning the blood back into water and mending your ways, you turn more water into blood. You light a fire opposite the other fire. The ramifications of this rasha is just beginning, as is with all who struggled with abuse. Just two days ago, the first suicide of one of his victims, Shifra Horowitz, Zichronali Vracha. Say her name, Shifra Horowitz. What could have been? As one advocate for the fight against sexual abuse put it, 
She wasn't a master storyteller. She didn't have a son's grave to die on. She didn't have a gun to shoot herself. She died as she lived, powerless and in silence. She didn't get a mass funeral. She didn't get a prominent obituary in the newspaper. Her friend wrote, she ended her life because her wounded soul could not stand the celebrations that were held for him. Yes, celebrations. Did you see the hundreds of people surrounding the hearse of this murderer and abuser in B'nai Brak paying respect? An obscene and revolting image. Did you hear about the mayor of B'nai Brak giving a heartfelt eulogy? Despicable. Why? Why would he do so? Because he wore a white shirt? Because he wore a black hat? Because he wrote, quote, books of inspiration? These are some of the quotes of our so-called religious leaders after hearing about this abomination. Nunu, what can we do? Or, maybe it was an affair. Or, well, he wasn't sued. Or, worse of them all, I need testimony of three mamash rapes for this to even count. It looks like ignorance and stupidity are spreading faster than Omricon. Any Jewish leader or rabbi out there that does not publicly denounce this Rasha's actions, don't talk to me. I have no respect for you. And your Torah is worthless in my eyes. Rabotai, if you have a People Speak or Kids Speak book in your house, burn it. This has gone on far too long, especially in the religious community, without any hard-headed action to combat it. It's about time that a system is created to make sure that people feel safe, that if they're threatened, they have a place or someone to turn to. So here are a few points to consider that are well summarized by an article by Rabbi Hoffman. The first point is the issue of tefillah. We should be praying for victims of predatory behavior. Many people do not realize that predatory behavior is truly a matter of pikuach nefesh, life and death. It is far from harmless. Victims are often scarred for life, and the predatory behavior can cause all sorts of repercussions, such as suicide, as we saw from Shifra Horowitz, attempted suicide, alcohol abuse, and drug abuse. And it can affect three generations. We should ask and beseech God to help eliminate this horrible nemesis, and also take action ourselves. If you see something, say something, applies here more than anywhere else. Secondly, there is the concern and love that we must have for the wife and children of Chaim Walder. They are entirely innocent and need our love and tefillot. Picture for a moment what has happened here. One month they are on the top of the world with a seemingly heroic father who helps people, who is a famous author. A short time later, all of that has been taken away from them. They need our love and our tefillot. They did nothing wrong. Thirdly, is a matter of the author having taken his own life. Suicide is a terrible avera from a Torah perspective. It is equal to murder, according to the Rambam, it should be made clear that this is an incorrect behavior. There is an exception when there is a mental illness, but the tone of the note and the recordings do not reflect this. There is also the fact that he did leave a widow and orphan children in the act. And for those suffering with these thoughts, those who are victims of such abuse, speak up. Know that we are here to listen, and that this generation will never judge you otherwise. We as a community should have greater resources available, where people can reach out for help against predators. There are remarkable organizations that are truly necessary. We should also work hand-in-hand -hand with the authorities to ensure that people at risk for suicide are safe. We just don't have the abilities or resources to do otherwise.
We should try to keep a lower profile on all of these issues with the caveat that the public be properly protected. Rabotai, this story should hit everyone to the core and we should take action. What can we do? Number one, donate. Give your money. Give your time and expertise to organizations that support abuse survivors. Number two, educate yourself. Educate others about sexual violence and abuse. And number three, advocate. Create environments that truly support survivors. The Egyptians were able to turn water into blood by sorcery through a whisper, Rashi says. The blood killed all the fish, which left an awful stench in Egypt. There is too much whispering. There is too much hush-hush. Too much hush about this obvious problem. There's an awful odor right now among the religious world that must be eradicated. Let's remove the focus from the perpetrators and focus on the victims. Let us all find the path to repentance in ensuring the emotional, physical, and mental safety of each member of our community so that we can prevent future harm to Klal Israel. Shabbat Shalom.